You are listening to Share a Slice with Sean. Hi, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Share a Slice with Sean. Um, this episode, I'm happy to have on Kelsey Matthew. Uh, she's an artist and a photographer and a traveler, and uh, she's based in Seattle, and she runs a shop mostly on Instagram, uh, but also she uh, goes to uh, Farmer's Market as well uh, in Seattle called Transylvania Winter Shop. And uh, a lot of her artwork is based around her um, not-for-profit charity work that she does in Romania, where she helps out Roma villages in Transylvania. So we're not talking about Transylvania like, you know, uh, Castle Frankenstein or, uh, you know, uh, Dracula and all that kind of stuff. Um, uh, We're talking about Transylvania modern day where you've got these extremely poor people with nothing at all living in thatch huts outside of modern 20th century, 21st century, actually, uh, cities. And it's really weird. Again, um, kids with muck all over them, no shoes, the the works. And this is in, you know, a a modern country like Romania uh, in in Europe. So we're going to learn about that. And we're going to learn about some of Kelsey's experiences where she works there. Her her blog is actually romaniaforchrist.blogspot.ca and uh, she documents some of her stuff there. You should go take a look at some of the pictures. They are pretty heartbreaking, some of them, but some of them are also good because you actually see some of the good stuff that she's doing there uh, with the locals and, and, and alongside the government as well. So everybody's kind of helping out there. So uh, we're going to be talking to Kelsey about that. And uh, yeah, let's get right into it. Let's learn about the Roma Gypsy Villages in Transylvania, Romania. So Kelsey, you run a not-for-profit artworks um, shop, I guess, an art shop in um, Seattle and uh, it's yes. called it's called Transylvania Winter Shop. Uh, so first of all, wh- I mean, what is the the idea behind the name Transylvania Winter Shop? Well, I created the shop itself as a creative way to um, raise support to donate to the foundation in Transylvania that works within the many Roma Gypsy villages in the Transylvanian region. And since 2010, I've been going in the winter time. Prior to that, I have gone all other times of the year. However, since 2010, I've been traveling there in winter. And um, it's just a time that is really, I I really connected with um, being there during like the harshest weather um, and seeing how they fare through that. So I wanted a direct connection between the shop itself, you know, the name of the shop, and also the purpose behind it. So that's where Transylvania Winter Shop came from. Yeah, so that just a little background for the listeners. You have been to Romania 
uh, several times now. Like uh, you started out going, I think, once a year and then you went, uh, you know, that that went to more like once every couple of years. But you're still very much involved with um, with the poor of Romania because you I mean, you are helping out the Roma. Uh, I think I've, I've heard them de- described as Romani as well. It's um, it's actually an ethnic group that's in Romania and uh, the col- they're colloquially called gypsies as well um, by, by some. And can, can you explain for me a little bit about who the Roma or the Roma, sorry, the Roma or the Romani are? Yes. So you're, you're correct. The uh, Roma gypsies, as they are the proper term or Romani, um, they are an ethnic group that originated in India 1500 years ago. Mm. Um, However, they were sent away. Um, lots of history and lots of really interesting backstory to all of this that I won't get into. However, um, they were sent away and they are a people that don't have a home. They don't have a country. So they are, that's why you're, it's very common to think of them as nomads or travelers or wanderers. Um, they have their own culture, their own way of life, um, their own, you know, physical traits that are common without like throughout the Roma Gypsy um, population. Uh, They aren't only in Romania. However, the largest population, to my understanding, the largest population of Roma Gypsies um, are are found in Romania. And the ones that I work with in Transylvania are considered to be the poorest of the poor Roma gypsies. Yeah. And I mean, I saw the pictures, uh, there are some pictures actually on your blog, uh, Romania for Christ.blogspot.com. And like, it, it is it crazy. Like I, I saw these pictures and they're just literally, they're living in like thatched huts, like the sort of things you'd expect to see in the middle ages and there's just like mud and poo and garbage everywhere. And it's just heartbreaking when I see these pictures. Yeah, that's something. Uh, so I've been going since 2005 every year with the exception of a few years. Um, and that's something that I can't shake. I, I see that and that's what keeps me going back. And I've seen some of these children that are born into that. I've seen them grow up and become parents. And it's just this cycle. And it's this cycle that um, is very difficult to break free from um, that, that level of poverty. And you're, you're right, they do, they live in, um, you know, mud huts and um, little, you know, stick houses and very rarely do they have electricity. Very rarely do they have, I mean, they never, absolutely never have indoor plumbing. So just think of that, you know. And the, it's only some villages, Roma villages, have um, an outhouse. Um, so these kids are running around, you know, barefoot. Um, and the, the ground is muddy, covered in feces, covered in garbage. There's stray dogs running around. Like, that's, their, that's the reality for them. Yeah, and I mean, just, I, I can't even imagine being a parent. Like, I see these pictures, and, you know, 
I, I showed the picture to one person. He's like, well, surely, you know, they could wash their kids. And I'm like, well, there's no water. Like, unless exactly. they just send them out when it's raining or something. And I, if, I, exactly. if I look at this town, um, I can't remember the name of the town now that you were with, you're in, but uh, I look at these pictures and it's like, it's just kind of like, looks like kind of clay mud and there's no, there, yes. it's like no big rivers nearby. It's just like pasture, like all around, like just grass. Yeah, I think um, that's from the village of Seleush, which right. uh, there's Seleush Meek and Seleush Mare. And um, so there's the one that's on the hill. And the one on the hill is the one that is, um, I mean, these people are living in dire conditions. And they. you're right, they don't have, I mean, they don't have indoor plumbing. So how are they supposed to clean their kids? Like they ha they get very, I mean, they get sickness from the water, but they, it's all they have. So they use the same water source, whether it's a creek or, um, maybe the village well, which is not also not the norm. Um, you know, this is where, how they clean their clothes and how they clean their bodies and how they wash their, um, you know, what they drink from and how they cook from. And so, you know, and there's, there's animals and there's things, and you know, and there's, you know, they have no bathroom. So just if you take a minute and you think about all of that, um, there, there is no way for them to, to break, you know, free from that because they don't have a place where they can take a hot shower. I've also been involved in, um, bathing programs where we take the children that are in just very, um, just very horrendous, uh, living situations. And we will take them to the home where we stay and bathe them. And it's the only hot bath they're going to ever get. And I mean, we've even had, uh, Roma come in and we brought one that was an elderly man. I want to say, um, I mean, he was elderly, maybe, 80s or something and he we brought him in and it was the only shower he ever had and so just think of that like living in a mud hut for 80 years and it's your I mean it took I mean it it took the entire day to get him clean yeah I can oh god I can only imagine and like I mean it's just wild to me like I'm looking at this and I'm like thinking you know Romania is not that's not like what I would usually associate with the kind of place where that sort of thing goes down. You know, I mean, I, it's European. Uh, I don't know if they're in the EU or not. I, they might since, be. Yeah. Yeah. Since 2007. How is this even possible? I mean, it just yeah. doesn't, it boggles yeah. my mind, you know? Well, yeah. And so, um, there has always been discrimination against the Roma gypsies, no matter where they go, nobody wants them around. And so, um, some of the Roma that are a little bit more well-off, like the ones that have the covered wagons, they, they have the ability to leave town and go to the next town and try to find a livelihood there. But the Roma gypsies in Transylvania are, they don't have that luxury. And so they're stuck there and, the local governments do not want them there. So they are oftentimes not allowed in public places. 
they're not allowed to have proper jobs, get a proper education. Um, they're, they have their Roma villages on the outskirts of town. So they're out of sight, out of mind. And, um, there's really no, uh, really no hope unless these people, the local governments or foundations like the one that I have worked with for over a decade, um, unless they, you know, make the effort to reach out to these people and provide for their basic needs. I mean, just basic human rights that are, that they just don't have, um, being met, you know, they don't have those things. And so, uh, I mean, <laughs> it could take, you could work there every day for the rest of your life and just it feels like it would barely scratch the surface. Yeah, it's pretty grave. And I mean, uh, it's, uh, it's a sort of situation where, I mean, where do you even, like, I'm looking at the place and uh, I'm wondering, you know, what can they sell? You know, what can they mm -hmm. produce? And I'm, I, I, mm -hmm. I did a, even a simple Google Maps of the region and I'm like, Mm -hmm. There's grass there. I mean, unless they sell grass, yeah. I, I don't know what it is that they can do. So it's like, it's like they were wandering, as you say, uh, away from someplace years and years ago, and they just stopped there, and then they just never went yeah. any further. It's very sad. Yes, yes. So, um, they, uh, there are many, many different kinds of Roma gypsies. There are ones that are, um you know, born and raised in Romania, stayed in Transylvania their entire life, the ones that I've had um, the most experience with. Um, and then there are ones that, you know, live further, a little bit further west in uh, Europe. However, the majority are in Eastern Europe. And there's also um, gypsies in North Africa. There's gypsies back in like Central Asia. Um, but they don't have the ability to go down to any little shop and, you know, apply for a job and get a job. They don't, they, they can't do that. That's not possible. So, um, the men, they will go, they will take their horse and their cart and they will go in the mornings out into the forest, you know, Transylvania, there's, you know, a mountain range and there it's very, there's a lot of forest, a lot of unexplored, you know, um, it's beautiful, beautiful area, most beautiful area in, um, Romania by far. Uh, well, that's my personal opinion, but, um, <laughs> uh, you know, they would go out into the forest and they will cut down trees and branches and fill their carts and bring it all the way back and, um, sell the sticks, sell, you know, use the wood, like they just do, they try to be as resourceful as possible. Um, the women also will, uh, you know, will sell things. They can uh, sell things on, I I'm just going to call it the black market. So that's the most under, you know, easily understood um, phrase. However, yeah. I don't know if that's, yeah, I don't know if that's exactly um, the correct terminology, but they will sell any little thing that they have on the on the street. And um, the foundation I'm part of, they will teach the women how to sew so they can sew little touristy like dolls that look like folk Romanian folk in Romanian folk dress. Um, and so that a tourist will come by and, you know, be like, Oh my God, that's 
you know, so cute, whatever, um, buy it. And then these women are providing for their families. And also, um, the foundation also teaches men carpentry, basic carpentry and, um, welding. We had a man come over from the UK that, uh, has taught welding at a university there or, or, um, like trades, you know, like a trade school right? and, uh, came over and taught them, you know, these skills that they're never, ever going to get the chance to learn. And so that they can be an asset and, you know, get random handy jobs here and there. Um, and that's just the best way for them to, uh, bring, uh, bring money home for the families that are really, you know, they're working towards, um, you know, bettering themselves and bettering their lives. However, I would just like to say that there are many, uh, many Romanian, er, sorry, many Roma gypsies that uh, force their children into, you know, into town to beg. And um, it, that can be a major problem um, because they're bringing that money back. And then some, sometimes, not always, Sometimes that money, you know, the father's taking that money and buying alcohol. Yeah. And um, that can be, that is not benefiting anyone. And it's putting the kids, you know, in harm's way. And um, it's it's not doing any good for the Roma community because they're, um, you know, those stereotypes are just getting ground into everyone. You know, when they see these kids just dirty and begging you know, and they think, oh, you're just, you know, you're beggars, you're thieves, you're whatever. Um, so when I see those children, I 100% of the time always go to the nearest magazine, which is shop, mm -hmm. um, like little shop, and I'll buy them, you know, bottled water, bread. Bread is like sustenance, you know, it's what they, it's the most common thing that they eat. Buy them, you know, some kind of breaded thing, like a croissant or something, Um something that was going to fill them up and, um, I'll give them that. But I, I always tell them, you know, go home. Like you have food Go now, go, you know, go find your family, like go home, go to your mom, go to your dad. Um, because these kids, you know, they're, they don't understand yeah, what they're so doing sad. really. They, yeah. And, um, they're, I mean, there's just, <laughs> it's so sad because these kids, no matter what, no matter why they're in the situation, what they're doing, they're innocent. Uh, I totally 100% believe that they, they have, I mean, they're so desperate that I have just unlimited amount of grace for them. There was this one girl, um, maybe eight or nine that was blind and her father broke her legs and would wheel her out to, or like set her up, um, in the town to beg all day. And he did that to, to, you know, people might feel more sympathy for her because she's blind. She's got these broken legs. He did that. And he took that money and he used it for alcohol, you know, like, so there's, uh, there's just really hard. Like, I'm not saying that I don't have as much, grace or empathy for the, uh, you know, adults living in these conditions. Yeah. However, um, the, uh, it's the kids that, that, that's the real reason why I just can't, 
I can't stop going back because I'm, I'm looking at their little faces. You see them in the village. You walk to the village and you see them. They're asking for bread. Pline, pline. Like they're asking for bread because they haven't eaten. You, you ask them, when was the last time you've eaten? And it's oftentimes measured in days and not hours. And so um, just thinking, God, when I'm not there, not that I can do everything. I'm, I'm not like trying to say that I have done everything or do a lot. But when I am there, um, you know, I will do as much as I possibly can. And when I'm not there, I think about those faces and I think about their little voices saying, please. And I wonder who who's feeding them? How are they getting food? Um, not that I'm the only one that can do it, but I'm, <laughs> I really, really would love to inspire other people to go because the, the need is great and I can only do as much as I can do, which oftentimes doesn't feel like much. Um, but just thinking about those kids, especially being a mother myself, um, it's something I cannot shake. It's something I think about every day. Yeah. And for I mean, for sure, it got me as a parent, for sure. Um, I mean, can you tell me a little bit about, because I guess to some people who are listening, this might seem a little random how you, how you got into it. How, how did this woman <laughs> in Seattle, right, end up yeah. do it, taking on this cause for, for children in Romania? I mean, was it with your, was it with your, the organization? Was it some sort of church thing or was it, is it like some acquaintance you knew? How did you get motivated to do this? Well, I've always been interested in the Roma people ever since I was little, ever since I was young. I've always been interested in um, other cultures and other languages and other people groups and other places. And they just stuck out in particular to me um, at a, from a young age. Um, and I grew up reading Isabel Fonseca's book, uh, Bury Me Standing, which if you're interested in the Rome people, I would really recommend that. Mm. She's an American um, author, and she wrote that book about her experience with them. Um, and uh, I got an opportunity when I was, God, maybe... Uh, Oh, I must have, must have been 15, 14 or 15 the first time I went. Um, I got an opportunity to go and and work in an orphanage, which back then, uh, that was really like, you know, you think Romania, you think orphan the orphanages. I mean, that was a, just a huge thing af after um, uh, the communism fell and Ceausescu right. and all of the orphanages. So that was an opportunity that was like, you know, it was like two months away when I heard about it. I raised all the money and I went and I was just a kid and um, I had been out of the country, but with my family. And so this was a totally new experience. And while there working in the um, orphanages, um, I got to experience Roma's for the first time and um, I knew I had to go back. And so after that trip, I came back and I was trying to figure out how to get back there and um, I ran across my uh, middle school principal randomly and vice principal and um, was telling her, you know, about my trip. And she said, oh, our banker, our banker goes to Romania. There's a, they have a foundation there mm. um, and they've been going there for over a decade at least. And, um, 
And she's like, here, let me, you know, a little bit of networking, let me get you in touch with him. So that's how I started. From then, that's when I've been going with and working with that foundation, which is based in Transylvania, right outside the city, the city of Sigishwara. What, what's the name of the foundation? Um, it's called Project Romania, okay. and it is it was founded in the UK. However, since uh, four years, it's been a also a Romanian organization. Oh, so it, it, what you're saying is that there's a collaboration occurring now? Absolutely. So before it was um, a UK based organization or a UK. Uh, mm, that it started or like it's from the UK that um, is based in Transylvania. And then from four years or so, um, give or take a few, they have actually from in Romania been like given like it, it was a very, you know, big deal. They were honored to like be part of it. Um, they were given like an official foundation in Romania status. That's good. I mean, that, that lends yeah. a lot of credibility and stuff to even Romanians who might be interested in helping. Absolutely. Yes. And I mean, so like you've been listening, you've been interested in Romania for a while and, and you, you've been on how many trips now? I, 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 I counted oh, like God. at least four on your blog. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's more like 10 or more. I'd have to go back and count. Okay. So, yeah, yeah, I've been going there every year since 2005, with the exception of a few. So, for kids and all that kind of stuff, probably just life, right? Absolutely, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. When you were in Romania, I mean, did you? What was the deal with that? I mean, were you in a group with a, with a group of expats or whatever, or were you embedded <laughs> like right with the with the Roma? So, um, both. I have um, spent time with. Uh, like kind of piggybacking onto the groups that come over from the UK. Um, and I've also gone on my own because um, ha having gone there for, you know, over a decade, I have, you know, uh, developed relationships with people on my own, um, friendships and things. And so I've, you know, gone and seen People, um, friend, people that I really consider my friends, however, you know, are living in those conditions. And in some cases, um, I've, you know, seen their, their lives really take a turn for the better, um, which is awesome with all thanks to like education and just getting resources and things like that, um, through the foundation. Um, but I have experienced a lot of Roma life. And I don't want to, I just want to clarify, I don't consider myself an expert mm -hmm. in Roma life or culture or anything. However, I've spent a lot of time with the Roma of Transylvania. Um, and so I've, you know, been to weddings, been to funerals, seen babies born, seen people die, you know, things like that. They're very, um, very important events in the Roma, uh, in, in their lives. That's like, sounds very real, you know, like here in North, here in North America, you know, you hear about people being born, you hear about people dying. That's all, all happens in hospitals, but there it's like, it sounds really real, you know, because it's all yeah. there right in front of you. Like people are absolutely. dying, people are dying of illness, all that kind of stuff. But uh, absolutely. 
what I mean, what are some f- um, um, facets about the culture? Because I know you're not an expert. You said you you weren't one just now, but of course I'm going to ask you, right? <laughs> like, what's the language, yeah, well, the religion? Do they yeah. believe in magic? That kind of thing. Music. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, um, I I know there are a ton of people that know exponentially more than I do. Um, so I'm speaking from my own experience uh, of you know my growing up. Um, with the Roma of Transylvania. And yes, they have their own language, Romani, which is different village by village. Mm. So, you know, if you have a nomadic um, tribe, I will call them, if you have a nomadic tribe of Roma that have traveled quite a bit, they're going to adopt words for wherever they're traveling through. So there are some uh, Romani dialects that have German words, Russian words, you know, things like that. Um, in Transylvania, though, um, has been a part of Romania since 1918. So um, before that, it was Hungary. And many of the villages there are Hungarian. I mean, you can just go to a Romanian town that's um, Shekel, which is the word for it being uh, Hungarian. So a Hungarian town in Romania. Um the signs will be in Hungarian. The church services are in Hungarian. The schools are being taught in Hungarian. So there are, um, in addition to the Romani languages or dialects, I should say, within these different villages, a lot of them speak Romanian and Hungarian as well. Um, the culture is, um, they're very, See, there's two sides to this because Roma in general are considered to be very closed off and not welcoming of gajo, which is the Romani word for a non-gypsy. Mm. Um, but it, with the the Roma that I have come in contact with, it's unbelievable how welcoming they are. I mean, they are the warmest, nicest, sweetest, most generous people I've ever met. Um, love to have fun, like are so like family oriented and... Um, like just so like non-judgmental and not, like they're just so open and you know they will give you whatever they have which is nothing which is barely anything you know um but they will offer it to you not like here have this piece of bread you know mm. here have you know come into my home like here they're so proud and so welcoming and um inviting and uh that part i i mean it's just Coming from Seattle, where <laughs> everyone is the opposite, very closed off, very keep to yourself, you know, like don't say hi to someone walking on the street, you know, that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, so uh, for me, that was a little bit, I would say, of culture shock, like, oh, wow, like, oh, I'm like part of your family now. Um, and I, I think <laughs> deep down, there's like this connection, you know, that I feel um, with them and I will always. Um, I mean, I've brought my son there and he's been with the gypsies and spent time with them. And um, it's something that I just, it's so like special to me. I um, mean, it's a, it's a big part of my growing up, um, having gone there, you know, since I was young. Um, so the music, music is a huge thing. I mean, if you think Roma, or you think gypsy music, very upbeat, mm-hmm. very um, 
exciting, you know, lots of dancing. Um, everything's a party. And you can go into a village that, you know, where people are living in holes in the ground and they're living in mud huts. And somebody somewhere has got a cell phone with gypsy music and they are blaring <laughs> it. Or somebody somewhere has a satellite with a TV in their little hut and they're, you know, blasting this uh, music. Um, and of course, at, you know, weddings and funerals, they're, they're playing, the, they're, they're actually Roma bands, you know, they're actually playing their accordions and their guitars and, you know, their instruments. Um, but that is a huge part of their, um, their culture. Uh, their food, food is big, but I think it has to do with more with the region yeah. they're in. So with the Roma of Transylvania, I've found that they it's mostly uh, like Romanian, traditional Romanian dishes, yeah. traditional Hungarian dishes. Yeah. Yeah. So they just basically adapt to whatever's in the area. So like potatoes, that kind of thing. Absolutely. Yes. Yeah. And, and then clothing. I mean, I, I guess I have this romanticized view of uh, Roma. So I'm thinking like, I, I mean, I guess money factors into this, obviously, right? But if, uh, yes. if they have money, then maybe we're talking about amazing dresses for women, that kind of thing, you know? Yes. So yes, absolutely. And you're not romanticizing it at all. Um, if you're picturing... Um, a woman with her braids and her colorful headscarf and her mm -hmm. um, long, flowy, floral, like bright skirt. That is correct. However, that is for the more well-off gypsies. Right. That's not for the Roma um, of Transylvania that I've had the most contact with. However, I have come into contact with those Roma that are traveling. They've got their little covered wagons. They've got, you know, their... Um, they're doing more of the things that you picture when you think of gypsy. Um, and those, I mean, it's just beautiful. Uh, the, they're, you know, the way they dress and, um, it's, yeah, it's also interesting. You know, um, one time I was in this village, I'm pretty sure, um, it was Hetir and we were doing a aid. We were delivering aid parcels to the local village school. And there was a, there was two Roma outside of the school that were adamantly, adamantly trying to get our aid parcels from the back of our vehicle. And, um, I mean, there's two different, I just want to keep clarifying in my experience, there are two different types of Roma. So these aren't the Roma that like we are providing these things for. These are the Roma that are, you know, coming into town, you know, um, doing their thing, like wanting you know, whatever they want. Right. Um, so, you know, they're just very like, uh, a little bit aggressive, yeah. I'd say. So Kinda they're hustling. coming up to our van. Yeah. And so, um, you know, they are, uh, you know, and they're speaking on purpose. They're speaking Romani. They're not speaking Hungarian Romanian at all. Like they're not speaking Magyar, they're not speaking Romanish. They like they're speaking Romani on purpose because they know we can't understand it, and they're trying to like confuse us and things like that. Like uh, you know, to tr tr try to just like one's gonna sneak behind us and get the box right. So um, one of the ladies, you know, they're yelling and she rips off her skirt and she throws it at us, and that is 
th- that's how they barter because she's got another one underneath. I mean, she probably had like 12 oh, okay. long thought, flowy skirts thought, like over and over and over. Yeah. I thought maybe she had nothing underneath and she wanted to like distract everyone or something. But you're saying that she just <laughs> like, I mean, she just threw, she's like, here you go. Here's the skirt, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Like that's, the, she's bartering. Okay. You know, she really wanted what we had and, um, we couldn't give to her because we, we on purpose go to each village, count each child because we don't want anything being sold on the black market. So we're, we're counting each child, um, each person in that village and only packing for that, you know, for them. We're not, cause we don't want riots which have happened in the past. We don't want chaos. Um, we want it to be completely fair. And so they see us as people that are trustworthy and we do what we say we're going to do. We're going to come and we're going to give you X, Y, Z, and that's what we're going to do. So in that case, we couldn't, we couldn't, um, you know, meet her demands. Um, and there are, uh, I mean, there are countless stories I could say, and I, I mean, it would take hours to like unpack it all, but, um, I mean, there's so many, so many, yeah, it's just, I mean, I mean, I'm like thinking in my head, like of all these different things. Um, yeah. What, but what's the, uh, I mean, when I think of, I mean, again, I have this sort of romantic point of view, but when you were talking about the little buggies, I was just, I'm yes. like, so entranced by that because the thought yes. of being in a buggy and just traveling across the countryside and not having to go to a, I mean, I know you're poor as dirt, but not having to go to a job, like seeing the stars above that kind of thing. I mean, there, I, I know that in, even in North America here, there are some people like some couples that are like, I'm going to live in my van now. And they do it like just to, yeah. you know, just because of that kind of nomadic um, lifestyle. I mean, as long as you have someone else that you're with, it's it's probably utterly amazing. And I just have this view of like, you know, the the idea of the traveling circus or the traveling carnival, and you've yes. always got the the one gypsy lady who's got the crystal ball, and she's the tarot cards and the whole thing. I mean, do they yeah. have like kind of superstitions like that, or are they mm. seen by local? by non-Romani as being maybe a little spooky or something sometimes, some of them? Um, so uh, I would say that um, the impoverished Roman gypsies aren't as much um, into right. that part of the culture in my experience because they, it's not, it's not a, a necessity. I mean, they are literally waking up thinking, where, how am I going to eat today? You know, so they, they, it's just, it's a little bit different. Right. Um, the, the traveling, you know, they've got their, um, they travel in covered wagons, caravans. Um, and you know, they, you know, go from place to place and yes, they do perform and, you know, there's the dancing and the music and, um, also, you know, Years ago, they would uh, train like bears, you know, to perform and things like that. Wow, that is that is true. Um, and yes, super, they are very superstitious people. And I'm not only referring to um, that kind of uh, you know colorful nomadic Roma gypsies that are a little bit more well off. I'm also referring to um, the Roma in Transylvania. 
for example, um, no matter when a baby is born, like what time of the year, they will cover that baby in as many layers as possible because the wind carries evil spirits and Mm. they don't want an evil spirit passing through the baby. They also will not clean their babies. Um, They will not put the baby, like any water on the baby um, because the water will make them sick Um, and they don't want their baby to die. And so, um, I mean, I've been there in the hot, hot July sun and seen a brand new baby so covered in blankets that, I mean, we had to, and and it was very difficult for them because they really believe those things. And we had to force them to unwrap the baby because the baby's going to over die, you know, it's going to overheat and die. And, um, and unfortunately things like that do happen. Um, preventable deaths happen a lot. Um, I, the most recent time I was there was November, December, um, and of 2017 and, uh, previously to me arriving. So maybe a week or two, I cannot remember exactly. There was a little nine-year-old girl, um, in a village that died of tooth infection. Yeah. Like something sounding very preventable. Yes. And, um, I mean, that's just, it's unfortunately a part of life things like that um yeah i guess also though if you're in such a desperate situation for at least the ones who are you know sedentary and and also i mean i guess when they're sedentary just as an offshoot i mean they there are churches and nearby and all that kind of stuff so they're probably going to be a little less into the conjuring and more into just plain Christianity or some sort of religion along those lines, I would imagine. But what I'm saying is that when you're, when you're stuck with, um, you know, living in this sedentary sort of lifestyle, I mean, um, you're, um, how should I, you know what? I lost my train of thought. (laughs) I had a point. I know I did, but, uh, yeah, that's all right. You know, it's just it's just that uh, I think that, uh, you know, you've got this extra layer of desperation. You're there, unlike the yeah. ones that are, you know, traveling around. At least when you're traveling around, you you can hope to, you know, get some kind of odd job or maybe, you know, yep. uh, who knows, steal something, like whatever it takes to live, yep. right? Whereas like with these people, yes. it's, it's like extra level of desperation because one day is could just be like another day, could be like another day, could be in like another day, you know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I will say, um, just back to palm reader. So when I, you know, was growing up, I've always been very interested in, um, the Roma people. And I, you know, was looking up their history and, and where they are and, and how to find them. And, um, there's many different kinds of gypsies. And I will just say, I, cannot stand any reality TV shows about gypsies because oh, it's yeah. just not even. I, I know that there are a few because sometimes when I bring um, when someone's like, oh, you, you know, you've worked with gypsies like, oh, have you seen Bloody Blah show? And I'll be like, uh, uh-uh, uh, no, mm-mm, get out of here. Like that's it's just that's not true. That's not real. Um, so back then when I was trying to find aroma gypsy to speak with and just ask them. This was prior to me ever traveling to Romania. Um, 
I had read up that there's a huge population of Roma on the West Coast, um, like blood Roma, like ethnic Roma, um, that uh, live in California. And the chances of a palm reader, and this is back, God, I want to say like 70s, 80s that I'm referring to, a palm reader at that time in that area is like, there's like a massive chance, now I'm spacing on the percentage, but I mean a, a high, very high percentage that that person is blood Roma Gypsy, like Roma Gypsy from Europe. Um, and so I went on like a crusade to try to find palm readers here in Seattle. And, um, they are very not like, they're very closed off and I could never speak with one. Um, but they, that is a kind of more of a romanticized version of the Roma gypsies. Cause of course here in the United States, they're not living like they are back at, yeah, back, exactly. like for instance in Romania. Yeah. So they, you know, they've got a house, they've got a job, they've got a, the, a birth certificate. They've got like a license, they've got a car, they've, you know, they've got like a Western life. Right. But, um, I just found that really interesting. And I know that today, you know, like 40, 30, 40 years past that, um, when that statistic was like came out, um, you know, that the chances are probably still pretty high that like, if there's a, you know, older palm reader, uh, an older psychic nearby, um, that maybe they are from, you know, a bloodline. They're from a Roma tribe. Who, who knows? I don't know. Um, and that's, anyways, that's something that I've, uh, that's I've pretty, been, I'm still searching for. That's pretty cool. Yeah. Well, I know that, uh, you know, I, I contacted, uh, tried contacting a few people on the internet, but it occurred to me that if I'm talking to this person on the internet, chances are they're not, you know, they, they, I mean, I didn't, I didn't see very much high speed internet connections when I saw those pictures there. So I'm already like not necessarily talking to someone, I'm talking to someone who at least has had a lot of interaction with, um, this higher standard of living here and, you know, the North America, yeah. et cetera. Um, speaking of that, speaking of higher level of education, uh, employment. Yeah. I mean, you, you mentioned earlier that, I mean, these, these people, they're not getting, they're definitely not getting any kind of job opportunity because how the heck are you going to go to a job interview if you, you know, haven't washed in 80 years, right? It's not going to happen, but, uh, level yeah. of education. I mean, is the government there doing anything? <sighs> So uh, this this all depends on the condition of the village. Mm. So a, a gypsy, a Roma village is is on the outskirts of a Romanian village, if that makes sense. So when you say um, Laslia or you say um, uh, Secuen or you know one of those, those are Romanian villages. However, they have Roma villages right on the outskirts. Um, and th so the Romanian villages have schools and it depends on the condition of the village. Some of those Romanian villages are very rural. They don't have a lot of resources. The teachers aren't paid well at all. Like they, they don't have anything. Um, I mean, there was one village that I went to and the only map, or I'm sorry, there was one village school that I went to. The only map they had in the entire school was of West Germany. <laughs> I, yeah. I mean, so 
That that, so that doesn't even exist anymore. It all anymore. depends on the exactly. <laughs> How outdated is that, right? Um, and that was the only map they had. And they were so proud. I mean, it was hung up. It was huge, massive front, you know, of the classroom. Um, and it just depends on the condition. So some of these Romanian villages have, I mean, they some of them, the staff just do as much as they can. They're, they're spending their own money. They're devoting tons and tons of time to, you know, uh, invest in these little kids. And some of these, um, local governments, uh, the primaria or the mayors, they will, uh, you know, uh, really um, encourage the helping of the Roma gypsies. However, that is not as common. And so you get schools that, um, will say you cannot come to school unless you have a pen yeah. or uh, I'm sorry, a pencil, a notebook, shoes, and some even say a uniform. How the heck is a Roma gypsy kid going to get those things? And so they, they do that in turn to keep them out, you know? And so it's not a blatant, like back in the day when they had blatant discrimination against Roma gypsies, like signs, signs that said, no Roma allowed, we'll kill, like we'll shoot on site, you know, like they, that, that's real. That was reality for them. I mean, a lot of people don't realize, you know, in like the Holocaust, it wasn't only Jews, it was Jews and gypsies that were carted yeah, off, the population, and, you know, I, horrendously. I saw the yeah. population went down to only about 50,000 or something like, like it was a, a huge purge during the second world war. They killed Absol hundreds of thousands, a lot. Absolutely. Yes. And so, I mean, I think we're in the millions. Yeah. Um, and so these, uh, these, this reality is the only the case in certain places and it's not across the board. I mean, these local little villages are ran by their local, you know, mayors in there. Um, it's very common for them to, you know, have their own little rules, their own little, um, laws that they put into place. And it's kind of like, um, you know, it, it's just, it's not like the West at all. Um, and some of these places that do not allow Roma to come in it, unless they have, you know, those, you know, things, you know, provided for them or whatever, they, um, these kids can't learn to read. They can't learn basic, um, academic, you know, um, they can't, uh, better themselves. They can't get out of this vicious cycle. There's Roma that are, you know, in their thirties that have never learned to read or write and illiteracy is, is a huge thing. But I feel like the past, since I've been going, I've seen a major change, um, in the education of the Roma in the villages I've been a part of, um, which is a handful, a good chunk of villages in the Transylvanian region, um, in or near the Sigishwara area, um, you know, within, within about an hour or two outside probably. Um, and I've seen these kids, you know, learn to read and learn to write and they're so proud and they're teaching their parents and, um, they're learning, you know, just things that kids hear, I mean, they're, they're like getting them to learn these things or like 
given effort is like pulling teeth, but over there it's like the most exciting thing, you know, and um, going to school. And so when we come across those villages where um, the ability to get those kids into the school, I mean, to get a proper education is very difficult. We provide them with those things that they're lacking. So the foundation, they will, um, you know, each kid gets a handful of pencils, a whole, well, in a bag, but pencils, notebooks. Um, if we can, this last year um, that I was there, we actually got a huge, huge donation of used uniforms from the UK. And if you know in the UK, um, well, actually, I'm just going to speak for Northern Ireland because that's what I know. Mm-hmm. Um, in Northern Ireland, all the schools are, um, uh, unif- like every person in a school has to be, has to wear a uniform. Um, so I'm just not like private or public. It's just everyone wears the same uniform all the way across the country. Same in Northern Ireland. So they had a huge donation of used uniforms sent over. So we got to give, we got to go out and measure these kids and go out and give them uniforms for school. And it was, it was just amazing, you know, cause they're, they're coming into school and they have brand new full head to toe uniforms that they can wear. Um, I don't know how long they're going to stay clean, but, um, you know, that was a, that was a huge deal. Yeah. That, that, I mean, that's fantastic. And it takes, I mean, it takes surprisingly little to, to just make gigantic improvements. I know that I've done a little work with a Ugandan uh, charity and even having a light that is reliable in the house yeah. that they can use to to read and do their homework is just astounding. So the, the these little solar powered lights was what they were given, and so they could study at night. You know, yeah, it's just amazing. It makes all they, the difference. Yeah, because uh, they 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 had um, lanterns, gas lanterns, and the the fumes were obnoxious. The, I mean, they're horrible. Yeah. They couldn't use these things inside; they would die. So yeah, yeah. I mean, for sure. I would also like to um, add that Roma culture, it is very common for a girl to get married when Mm. she's childbearing age. And when that happens, she's not going back to school um, because she has kids, right? And so uh, there was a village that I went to and there was a a nine-year-old that had a baby. Oh, God. And so we're talking – yeah, so we're – I mean – we're talking like I'm 27, like by my age, they're having seven, six, seven kids. Very common. I mean, very common. So um, uh, that's what I, I keep coming back to, like the, the cycle, you know, how to break that cycle. And like, we don't want to, it is not our goal to say, to come in and say what you're doing is wrong, how you're doing it's wrong. Um, here, do our thing, do it our way. Like that is not at all the goal of the foundation. It's here, let's come in, see what you're doing, how you're doing it. How can we um, like come alongside you and uh, help you in that? So we don't tell them, you know, oh, you can't, you know, get married at that age. Um, but we, you know, encourage them to, uh um, well, contraceptive contraception is completely frowned upon in the culture. Um, so, 
Yes. So they don't understand it. They're freaked out by it. They don't like it's it's not normal. And the local churches, which discriminate against Roma gypsies, they forbid them to use it. And so, um, you know, you can only encourage them and then love them and support them regardless. So oftentimes those measures aren't taken. um, And you get a, a woman my age that had seven kids and like two stillborns and, you know, just, it's just very common, like just very big families, um, lots of kids, um, lots of, uh, I wouldn't say lots, but, um, it is a common sight to see children with, um, God, how am I trying to say that? Um, kids with kids, you know, no, well, yes, but, um, so they marry within their village. And if, oh, it, if you've got a small village, you're yeah, marrying you essentially family members. Yeah. Um, so you've got kids that are born with um, defects, you know, traits. Yes. That come from incest. Yeah. And so you'll have kids that, that have, you know, ex- extra fingers yeah. or, um, you know, their eyes are very messed up or, you know, things like that. And so, um, there's just no way, and I don't believe in. I don't believe that it's okay for someone to come in and tell someone, well, how they're doing something is wrong, but instead meet them where they're at and try to understand why they do things that way, and then try to help them with that. And so that it's not always the case that um, you know they, you know, a, a girl can even have the option to refuse getting married. It's not always the case. Usually not. Um, and, you know, in, instead of, you know, get it, giving the option of, Hey, I don't want to get married at 12. I'd rather finish school. That's not the case. You know, that is just not reality for them. Yeah. It's, I mean, there's, there's a couple of things. First would be some sort of, you know, uh, contraception. And that's assuming of course, that, that they would even be allowed to, um, you know, any number of yes. things could happen. They can't. They can't do that. So there's that. And then also, if they're going to school, I mean, a, a big deal where, uh, with the charity I was working for with Uganda is like, so a lot of these girls could go to school, but then as soon as they got their period, their first period, it was over. They couldn't keep going yeah. unless they had, uh, you know, the proper sanitary napkins or tampons, whatever you call them, right? Exactly. Yeah. So these are two that things is, against yeah. women in general in that situation. Absolutely. Yeah. And, um, you know, just to paint a picture real quick, there are, so, so imagine you're in a one room house and you've got your grandpa, your grandma, your aunts, your uncles, your cousins, your mother, your father, and all of your siblings in a one room, you know, so we're talking not, okay, let me rephrase that. Everyone except uncles and aunts, because all the, you know, once you're married, you have your own house, except for grandmas and grandpas, they stay with um, a a child, you know, a married child they'll stay with. So um, you've got, you know, 10, 11, 12 plus people in a one room, little hut with dirt floors and you've got a girl that's growing up and, you know, she's 9, 10, 11, 12. I mean, it just, it doesn't take a lot to imagine what these young girls are going through um, when they've got, you know, dads and um, uncles. Well, not know, uncles. Yes, but exactly. Whatever. Well, uncles well, yeah, from down but the yes, street. yes. 
Yes. Um, and so uh, if a, a girl has a baby um, that's not married, I mean, they are shunned. I mean, it's a, it's like, it's just horrendous what happens. And um, unfortunately, that does happen. Um, but the, it, it doesn't matter for the man, right? Because um, it's her word against his. And uh, that happens oftentimes with a family member or with someone in the village that's, um, you know, obviously an older man. And so it's like all the cards are stacked against them. And um, there's really no, uh, they, they, they aren't given an opportunity to, um, you know, take care of themselves and learn hygiene and learn like just basic, um, like just fundamentals of being human, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's kind of a kind of a bummer. Uh, let's pick things up a little bit. Uh, I'm just going to ask like what I mean, what kinds of artwork uh, what are you creating at the Transylvania Winter Shop? And uh I mean, what um what are some projects you're working on now and and in the future at the Transylvania Winter Shop? Well, um I created the shop uh, in December 2015 as a creative way to raise money to to give to the foundation in Romania because I, you know, having a son now, I can't go and stay as long as I used to. Um, so I still wanted to be a part of it, still wanted to help in some way. Um, and so I created the shop and was like, oh, I can kind of draw. I don't at all consider myself an amazing artist, um, or anything, but like by no means. Um, but I, you know, I paint original paintings, original artwork. I make art prints. Um, I do travel photography and, um, I sell all those things and all the money is given to the foundation. And, um, the, the photographs I take are actually in Romania. So I always, um, when I go to Romania, I will take photographs and then bring them back, print them off and, um, you know, get them in nice matted frames and sell them. And so it's always tying back into like the purpose of the shop. So yeah. Oh, you like that castle? Cool. Like you're going to buy a picture of a castle, but it's of Romania and it'll remind you like, oh yeah, this, I bought this photo of Romania and you know, all the proceeds go, go to a toward a foundation there. Um, and so I kind of have my hands in two little pots kind of, um, because I either catch people's interest with the art and the photographs. Um, they don't care about the purpose, but they want to buy, you know, something that I've made, mm -hmm. uh, you know, somehow, um, has caught their interest and, um, they, they're, they're into it. And then I've got, you know, my other side where, I, you know, people want to support the, um, the, you know, support the shop and support the purpose behind the shop and the foundation and all the stuff that's being done in the Roma villages in Transylvania. So they will in turn buy a photo or buy a t-shirt or buy, you know, whatever. So I kind of have these two facets of the, um, you know, of the shop, um, and I try to, you know, bring everything back around so that uh, it does always, it doesn't, you know, it doesn't face me. Like it doesn't come back to me. It comes back to like, oh, there are children living in their own feces that haven't eaten in a week. Like I just, I know that sounds 
so sad and so heartbreaking, but that's, it's just reality. And I'm picturing faces and thinking, um, like, that's what I want people to realize. I have some, what I believe to be beautiful photographs of, and it's not because of my photograph taking abilities. It's because Romania (laughs) is just absolutely beautiful, absolutely gorgeous. Um, you know, I have those photos and you see it and it's beautiful. And I'm like, Hey, do you want to come? Do you want to come see what it is? You know, like I I want be to to go beyond, like, I don't want it to be about me or what I do. I want it to be like, Hey, I'm just a small part of this giant machine. You know, all these cogs that are moving around to try to, you know, do good in the world, you know? Yeah. And, uh, I mean, where can we go to see this? I mean, obviously you, you, you can go to the store that's in Seattle, but, uh, is there a way for people to take a check out the store online or, or? Yes. So, um, I don't have a brick and mortar shop. Um, I don't have a storefront. I used to have an Etsy, but it's just not feasible for a not for profit because of the fees. I Mm. mean, there's just like innumerable amount of fees. Um, and it's all coming out of pocket for me. So I shut I shut down my Etsy and I opened an Instagram, which is basically just an, your average run-of-the-mill Instagram uh, page, but uh, it's free and people I I can sell on there by you know they po- I post my art and my things on there. They can comment or send me a direct message and we work through PayPal and I ship them their items. Or I also. Um, locally uh sell at the kent farmers market which is right outside of seattle yeah you said kent 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 okay yeah and and the and the instagram i'll I'll put a link in the show notes uh is that just that's just transylvania winter shop right instagram yes perfect and and just to to kind of close off actually i i often ask this question of guests um so in the past gosh, I guess decade or something, like however long it's been now, is there something that you have really learned or something that's really changed you and and, and, an insight about life or humanity that you've brought from all of this experience that you can think of? Absolutely. Um, My biggest thing, and I think this was like such a blessing at such a young age to have all of these experiences, um, to see how people live and, and go outside of myself and outside of my community and outside of my little world and really get a picture for reality. I mean, we're talking about Romania. Romania's in Europe. We're not talking about Africa. We're not talking, you know, we're not talking about places where you're thinking that people are living in poverty. We're talking about Europe. And if it's a reality there, it's a reality everywhere, right? And so my biggest thing is that I just want to inspire people to choose something. It doesn't have to be this. If you don't care about Roma Gypsies, if you don't care about the shop or art or anything, then that's fine. It doesn't have to be this, but choose something to be a part of. Everyone can do something. Find a local homeless shelter. Donate your time. Um, find, uh, go, go on a trip. Go on a trip to South America. Do something um, for someone that is in need and go out, you know, go beyond your um, yourself and 
devote your time to something, get dedicated to something. And it doesn't have to be um, something someone's telling you to do. Like I would, I would never sit here and be like, give me your money so I can give it to Romania. I, I want to be like, there are thousands of ways that you can make a difference in the world. And that's my biggest thing is I just want to inspire and encourage people to go. If you can physically go, do it. If you can, you can't go, but you have money, give it, do something, I guess, to make the world a better place. That's great. Listen, uh, Kelsey, thanks so, so much for being on the show today. Thank you so much for having me. Well, that's about it for this episode. I'd like to thank Kelsey for being on the program and again, encourage you to go visit her on Instagram. Uh, just do a Google for Transylvania Winter Shop. There will also be links in the show notes, which you can find at shareslicepodcast.com. Um, there you can also subscribe to the podcast, of course. Uh, this podcast is on it's on Stitcher, it's on um, it's on iHeartRadio, it's on Apple Podcasts, it's on Google Play, uh, it's on Spotify. It, this podcast is pretty much everywhere. So, uh, I mean, go subscribe, please. Uh, leave a review and also check out Kelsey's blog and her Instagram as well. You can help support people by, you know helping Kelsey uh, help them. Um, in addition, um, if you could leave a review, please. I know the bagging gets old after a while, but it helps my fragile ego, especially these days when I've been just so super busy with life and getting future guests on the show. And by the way, one future guest on the show, which... Um, which actually I've already had on the show, is Mr. Lobo. And Mr. Lobo is from Cinema Insomnia, and that's a show kind of like Mystery Science Theater 3000, where Mr. Lobo presents um, really old, terrible movies, by which I mean they're really old and they're so terrible that they're awesome because they're so bad, they're hilarious. So you want to go check out osi74.com you also want to go check out cinemainsomnia.com do your homework before the next interview because um, it's going to be good Mr. Lobo is fantastic and I am going to end off this episode with um, a couple of audio uh, snippets I guess from um promos for uh, Cinema Insomnia. And of course, I'm going to leave you guys with another um, word from the Church of the Subgenius, because uh, like Mr. Lobo, I'm also a member of the Church of the Subgenius, and I revere uh, J.R. Bob Dobbs. Yeah, truly, it is my cult of choice. So um, I will subject you to that. I will subject you to that after I play the promo to Cinema Insomnia because truly Cinema Insomnia 
if you're having a bad day, watch Cinema Insomnia. That's all I can say. So, yeah, I think I've covered pretty much everything. I didn't really script this outro very well. Uh, life has been very challenging. Um, I've been doing a lot of interviews for future guests. I think you're going to love the future guests. I've got um, I've got one woman who basically moved into her van and they drove across the USA and she lived she was living in her van and documenting the whole thing on social media so that's cool she's coming up and i also have a an interview with a futurist pop star phenomenal phenomena rather uh, on the internet uh, from, I believe she's based in Switzerland. That'll be interesting. And in addition to all of that, I'm super stoked about an interview with a YouTube powerhouse based here in Montreal. And she is blowing up. And you're going to know why. Because she's just absolutely hilarious and you'll notice i'm not naming any names because i'm a bit of a jerk that way so you're just gonna have to stay tuned for all this stuff subscribe please and you're gonna know exactly what's going on you're gonna be the first one to know what's going on so with all that i've dragged this on long enough i'm sure uh thanks so so much for listening and i'm gonna just edge off into these promos for products for which i believe um thank you stay weird and come back next time you are under my power look into the hypnotic eye time now to enter mr lobo's domain look out Open your mind to the possibility that they're not bad movies, just misunderstood. You're not dreaming. You're watching Cinema Insomnia. selling body and soul to a bunch of bland normals, acting stupid so they'll think you're one of them, tired of getting all of the guilt but none of the sex? There is a simple answer, dear friend. A glowing beacon of slack amidst the turmoil and darkness. It's J.R. Bob Dobbs, the living slack master in his church of the subgenius. Bob brings a new destiny for the abnormal. For Bob comes to justify our sins, to unmask the conspiracy, and to get us back the slack they stole away. It's us versus them. Are you going to fry in hell on earth alongside the pink boys? Or will you pull the wool over your own eyes and accept Bob into your mind? Repent, quit your job, slack off, and praise Bob! Church of the Subgenius Eternal Salvation or triple your money back. Bob. 
But let's leave things of this world behind and walk now down the path of Bob for this brief minute of slack from the Church of the Subgenius. Ah, uh, yes, dear friends, this is Reverend Ivan Stang with the facts. That's right, the facts. But why are you so hung up on facts, my friend? The Church of the Subgenius, unlike the conspiracy that you serve now, does not confuse you with so-called, quote, facts, unquote. There are no facts to the enlightened man. To one trained in the church by Bob Dobbs, ultimate truth can be found in a potato, in a comic book, or at the bottom of a bottle of liquid slack. Because, friends, slack is what comes first. Yes, slack must come even before truth. So why are you letting the experts pull the wool over your eyes? Forget the facts, friends, and do like Bob. Pull the wool over your own eyes and relax in the safety of your own delusions. Uh, this is your only hope, my friend, if you wish to unravel the punchline to the joke of life. Let there be slack. See www.subgenius.com.